0: Welcome to episode 253 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. How are you doing this week, Brian?
1: You know what? It's okay. I'm doing all right. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, do n- I do not believe I have shared with you my accomplishment for the week.
1: Ooh, we have an accomplishment. I like that. I do.
0: Um, There was an approximately 90-second window on Wednesday during which Amazon had PlayStation
1: 5s in stock. Oh, boy. And did Alex capitalize on the 90-second window?
0: There are no humans alive. Actually, that's not true. There were a couple who saw me backstage one day when I was frustrated with a lighting designer who had gone AWOL and I was looking for him. There are few humans alive who have ever seen me move with the speed with which I got from my kitchen where I was getting more coffee when my watch (laughs) buzzed at me with the Twitter notification from the account I followed to tell me when PlayStation 5s were in stock, up to my office. (laughs) Um... You know what they say about parents lifting cars because of the adrenaline rush when their children oh, yes, are trapped?
1: Right, yes. Well,
0: you know, that's the closest I'm going to get to that phenomenon.
1: So so that was adrenaline speed force? Is it was.
0: It was. was. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm in the same universe I started in, but this one has a PS5 on my entertainment system, so <laughs> I'm going to stay here.
1: Uh, I was going to say, clearly, if not, you are now in the better timeline. So yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, just correction by degrees. Uh, I have made it through Astro's Playroom. I have begun finally playing through the first Spider-Man game in its remastered form, so I can then play Miles Morales.
1: Ah, uh, the first one is so good.
0: It is, I had started it and got busy with rehearsal. I'm about caught up to where I got okay. the first time. Um, It's very pretty. There are some cool quality of life things. My favorite, My favorite random feature that I have not heard anyone mention is when you hit the home button and the little, like, Apple dashboard kind of menu pops up at the bottom, you also get this little card on the screen that tells you the objective you're currently working on in the game, what percentage of that objective you've completed, and how long it will take you to finish this. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, like, I can I can hit, be like, hmm, I need to go up and record. Hit the button, see, oh, I've only got five minutes left on this. I'll actually finish this and not just yeah, stop in the middle. Yeah, I can finish
1: that. No, that's good. Yeah, I do like that.
0: I do like. That. Do you have a 4K TV? I do. I do.
1: I. Pre- how pretty is the is the
0: It's very pretty. It makes me wish I had gotten a slightly nicer TV when I okay. bought my TV. My my blacks are not as rich as I would like, and that's the TV. Like that's just anything I run on it. Um, but it's it's very pretty. The controller is as spectacular as everyone has said. Um, there are also some cool accessibility things that I haven't heard people talk about, like system level different uh filters for different kinds of color blindness
1: oh that's that is very cool
0: yeah um also things like text size text boldness there's chat transcription you can actually have it transcribe chat and read it back to you um lots of cool quality of life and accessibility things in addition to being very very pretty
1: very nice. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'll definitely get one, but I'm. In, I'm in no rush. I've got other games to play. And I was yeah. not in a rush.
0: And then I saw the Final Fantasy VII remake in TerraGrade footage right after finishing Final Fantasy VII remake, and <laughs> decided, no, I. I must get this before June. I thought it would take me longer than a week, but mission accomplished. There you go. Um. Anyway, that is. Panology Video Game Corner. It's vaguely Serial. related because Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, on to comics. Let's do it. We are starting off this week with an advance review of Witchblood number one. This is an upcoming vault series. We talked about it in previews. It is written by Matthew Ehrman, with art by Lisa Sterl, colors by Gab Contreras, letters by Jim Campbell, and design by Tim Daniel. Um, I was not, like, I expected to enjoy this because Vault. Like, if Vault, sure. then good. Right. This is probably one of my favorite Vault number ones. We we got our hands on the first two issues. The second issue is also fantastic, but this is goofier in certain ways than I expected yeah. it to be.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, I will say reading the first issue, like, you've got to be prepared to read the whole thing, because it's a little it's a little weird following in the beginning. Cause they're using a lot of things that are just like, she's just throwing them out. Like she expects you to know them and it takes a little bit of time to kind of get into it, but it, definitely worth it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the first issue kind of takes us to yep. what the, the back cover, basically what the solicitation text tells us this will be. Uh, the book follows a, a witch, uh, whose name I just totally blanked on. Save me, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. Um, who is like riding her motorcycle through the desert with her pet Raven or crow black, black Corvid bird and ends up entangled with vampires who want to basically steal the power that drives all the witches' power for themselves? Yeah, they,
1: they, they want to steal the power of the the witch goddess.
0: Yes, Esme.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: Uh and I think the thing that really sets this book out is just how kind of smarmy and charming all of the characters are.
1: Yep, I the mean, agreed. There's a, I, I will tell you just like, in, not in any specific way, but just a little bit of the vibe of the book, mm-hmm. reminding me a little bit of Kim and Kim.
0: I can see that. There's also kind of like an over the top Saturday morning cartoon yep. kind of energy there. Yep. Um, And that's, I mean, to be clear, this is in the art every bit as much as it is in the writing.
1: Yes. Um. It, and, and it is a crow Boo. I guess it's Boo, B-H-U, yeah. uh, is a crow.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, If this is not on your radar, you should definitely check it out. If you like witchy things, if you like goofy, fun books, if you want to see witches fight, I'm going to say Dirtbag Vampires, then uh, you will definitely dig this book.
1: And the Hex Hunter. I like the Hex Hunter, too.
0: I I also I want more of the Hex Hunter.
1: Well, we're gonna get more of the Hex Hunter, yeah. so that's good.
0: Um, no spoilers. Nothing, nothing beyond that. But nope. if you think even a little bit that anything we've described might be for you, you should you should at least get that first issue because this was this was surprising to me as someone who will sit here and buy every number one that Vault puts, puts out.
1: Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it as well. Keep keep a lookout for it.
0: Yes. Infinite Frontier, and we are going to work through this one with a swiftness. Uh, we could probably spend a whole hour on it if we let ourselves, but we're not going to.
1: We are not going to.
0: Uh, everything in this book is lettered by Troy Pateri. Just keep that in mind as we name all the other <laughs> creative teams. Because there's a lot. <laughs> there are so many. Uh, there is a framing story that focuses on Diana after having ascended at the end of death metal. Uh, This is written by Joshua Williamson with James Tynan IV and Scott Snyder. Its art is by John Timms, and its colors are by Alex Sinclair. And this really, truly is a framing device. Uh, Diana is greeted by the quintessence, who offers her membership into their club. Uh. And her response is basically, um... I can't do that until I know everyone is okay. So she gets a tour through the DC main earth to check in and see how everyone's doing. And that sets up all of these other stories that are a variety of lengths. Some of them are just a couple of pages. Some of them are several pages.
1: Do Are we going to talk about this now? We're going to get through all the themes and then come back and talk. How do you want to do it?
0: Brian, you get 30 seconds to be a Reddit comment section.
1: Okay. What the hell? So the whole idea at the end of this was Diana was talked to by Perpetua's for lack of a better term, siblings. Like these people who who are beyond anything that exists in the D C multiverse that, you know, created all of this, et cetera, et cetera. Ten seconds. Oh man! Uh, and then, and she's supposed she's talked to them, and is supposed to like now ascend to this level of godhood and all this. And the damn people that she gets to be invited to their club Moon are <laughs> a guardian of the galaxy, phantom stranger, Zeus, Athena, and High Father.
0: Let's say a guardian of the universe, because guardian of the galaxy implies oh, Star Lord <laughs> is chilling up there. <laughs>
1: I did say Guardian of the Galaxy, did I? Oops, sorry. Yeah. Guardian of the Universe, yeah. Uh, Ganthet, specifically. Yeah. Uh, and their pet, the Spectre. Um, so, first of all, personally, I rank the power of Spectre above all of those other five, so, like, why he's serving them, I'm not quite sure. Um. Second, like, no, these are all just chumps who have been characters in the DC Universe and have been, had their asses handed to them repeatedly and <laughs> Like, I was expecting her to be something far, far more than this.
0: Well, and. One of the things we learn in this issue is that we are starting in June getting a six issue miniseries, and uh, we're not going to spoil the second bookend piece of this Diana yeah. framing device. Yeah. But suffice it to say, I bet we get further exploration of why they're there.
1: Yeah, I, I want answers. I yes. want answers to why this is how she was, quote, Ascending, because I don't don't buy it. She doesn't either.
0: (laughs) Justice League. Uh, This is written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by David Marquez and colors by Tamara Bonvillain. This feels like just just the slightest taste of what a Bendis Justice League book is going to be. This is one of the shorter uh, uh, sections of this book. And if you take one thing away from it, Shazadam. Shazadam
1: shazam you mean shazam no i mean shazam
0: yeah adam the guy with the shazam powers
1: yeah yeah you know new superman
0: (laughs) yeah this makes me very excited for bindis's run um yes other than that there's not a whole lot here to talk about uh then we have batman we actually see batman visited and then revisited later in the issue uh, this is written by James Tynan IV, with art by Jorge Jimenez, and colors by Tomei Um This is definitely a solid, here is a preview of what you need to know for
1: Batman. Yeah, because uh, it, it, like, they line up perfectly with what we're about to talk about after this.
0: And also for Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And we'll actually come back to what's going on here when we get to those books. Uh, yeah. Wonder Woman, which is not about Diana. This this is one of my favorites uh, in this issue. This is written by Becky Clinton and Michael W. Conrad, with art by Aletha Martinez and Mark Morales, and colors by Emilio Lopez. So this is about Hippolyta and Nubia. Um, The Amazons are trying to figure out who will take Diana's place. Hippolyta is grieving what she perceives to be the loss of her daughter. And... Uh, we get this great Nubia moment where she's like, nah, fuck it. I'm either going to do this thing or I'm going to be turned into a statue. I might as well shoot my shot now. Uh, and she shoots her shot and gets, uh, a new job title that she did not expect.
1: Correct. I love that twist in this.
0: I Absolutely. do too. Absolutely, It's yeah. so good. Also... I really hope Hippolyta tells her where she hid that uh thing that was maybe in the box was supposed uh, to be in the box right yes. before she takes her uh sabbatical because that's not something you just want to accidentally
1: find right nope yeah no you don't want to go looking through the cupboards and accidentally open that one <laughs> no
0: what's under this cloche on top of the refrigerator um uh, this is why they don't let me write comics. but yes this gives us our why will hippolyta be in the justice league and our what's up with nubia yep wonder girl i mean just hands down still spectacular
1: oh agreed, agreed. i I love i i i I think i just love her energy and attitude yeah Yeah.
0: uh this is again written and drawn by joelle jones with colors by Jordy belair i love the little like parallelism of setting this in an airport after the first future state being set in an entrance to hell that is uh metaphorically an airport or bus terminal like having that same aesthetic was i think a really cool design choice narrative choice (laughs) the other thing
1: i love is this opens and it totally like the background of the panel totally gives you the impression that yara and her mom are you know like somewhere in brazil like in the jungle right yeah and then it pulls back, and it's like, you know, a travel poster in the airport.
0: <laughs> the sense of humor that this that, that everything with Yara Floor that Joel Jones has done so far has had is just... Uh-huh. Give me comics that have a sense of humor. That is what I keep saying
1: today. I do like it.
0: Uh, and if you listened to our May Solicitations episode that dropped last Friday, uh, Jen and I talk about the Wonder Girl series that starts that month yeah moving on we have green lantern alan scott another like the okay just about everything in here is solid this is one that i've seen getting a lot of like happy outreach happy outcry on the internet oh yeah yeah um this is written by james tynan with art and colors by stephen byrne and this is one of those... This is kind of solving an issue that you kind of have to solve now that everything is canon again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the New 52, Alan Scott was an out gay man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before that, when he had children, he was not. Right. And this issue resolves that by giving us the scene where he comes out to his children. Yes. And Obsidian well, uh- in this issue is just beautiful
1: yep and given what we know from the future state swamp thing uh, i'm wondering if they're gonna bring these two characters back into something
0: i don't think they would be here if they weren't gonna be in something
1: i think yeah i think there are probably
0: two of the characters who still like of all the characters who disappeared in the new 52 and had a Mm -hmm. lot of fan outcry Obsidian and Jade are probably the two biggest names who still had not been accounted for.
1: Yeah, I so I love both of them. I've loved both of them back since Infinity. So. Yeah. Yeah. Team Titans Academy.
0: This is written by Tim Sheridan with art by Rafa Sandoval and Jordi Tarragona and colors by Alejandro Sanchez. This is this is the first class taking the ferry over to Titans Island. Yeah. Uh, so is
1: our our mystery uh stowaway uh, um, is it gonna? Is that red X?
0: I get the vibe that that's red X, but then I'm also pretty sure it sets up him switching his backpack with someone else. So maybe we're already getting like a a, a telephone game with that mask or costume or whatever.
1: It could be, could be.
0: Uh, we definitely. It definitely feels like he's set up to be Red X because he's given a mysterious package and we never see his face. Yeah.
1: The other one I like is that one of the kids who's showing up there, right? Uh-huh. Has, has like, the new the 80s New Teen Titans number one comic book. Yes. <laughs> it's like, a uh, nice.
0: Nice. Uh, I'm ready for the first issue of this to be in my hands. Yeah. Superman! Written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Art by Jamal Igle. Color is by Hi-Fi. Tell me what's going on here, Brian.
1: Uh this is um this is Spectre questioning Superboy. So, back in uh back in Bendis's Superman run, there was this issue raised that Jonathan Kent would be a massively huge danger at some point in the future. Yeah. Apparently that is not yet resolved um because Spectre is very much doubting that Jonathan Kent can can be Superman and that he, something needs to be done about him. But Diana has courage and sure enough, he, he he does things differently than Clark might have, but he definitely shows that he's still Superman. Yeah. I like it. And
0: this is something we've talked about a lot in future state, but this idea of setting up, setting up Clark and Jonathan almost as foils to each other to explore Mm -hmm. what it means to be Superman. Um, it's clear that John's going to be an important part of this run. Yeah. Green Arrow and Black Canary. I would point out that we have yet to have a Green Arrow and Black Canary series announced, and I desperately want one after this. Yes. This is written by Joshua Williamson. Art is by Alex Malieve, and colors are by Jordy Belair. And Wonder Woman is. Or Diana is pretty hilarious in this one because she immediately wants out because they are like in the middle of cuddling it.
1: <laughs> yep. They are chilling. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes indeed. <laughs> Do we uh, actually need to watch this?
0: <laughs> this is another one of those moments you've alluded to uh mm-hmm. going back to what's it last stories of the DC universe. The yep. the one shot the where night we before. saw yeah. yeah the night before the big battle. Yep. Um we've talked about how we, we we've seen maybe Dick and Barbara in future state have still something going on. Yep. But this is the first time we've seen green arrow and black canary after that. And clearly that's not a thread that's going away again.
1: Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, what I, uh, the other thing is I think this gives us a very important piece also is there's a thing where, um, uh, uh, Black Canary says, lost memories, and he says, that's what Mr. Terrific said, bits and pieces will come back to us, just might take some time, is that all of the characters are, over time, going to be remembering everything that has ever happened to them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that that kind of echoes a little bit what we saw with Superman at the beginning of Rebirth and with the Flash family through all (laughs) of Rebirth. Right. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this is written by Josh Williamson who helped orchestrate that and who also is going to be writing the uh Infinite Frontier event later this yeah.
1: year. Yep. Yeah. Very excited though. Real quick, do we want to bring up the char- the other character that appears here? Yeah, sure. We can we can mention it. Uh so Roy Harper's back. Yeah, he is yeah. no longer a zombie or dead. Correct. Um and he very, very much is giving me a um uh, the a lone wander wanderer type vibe right now. Like yeah, yeah, kind of a uh, almost like a <laughs> this is gonna, almost like a Clint Barton meets um. I, who am I trying to think of? I thought you I
0: thought you were gonna say Clint Eastwood for a moment, no. like an old western no. sort of wanderer. I mean,
1: maybe yeah, yeah.
0: Maybe. The, the sort of spaghetti western or samurai film trope.
1: Yeah, but he talks about how uh, you know, yeah, you know what, it's not time for me to make a connection with back up with anybody yet. Yeah. I, I basically I've got to figure out who the hell I am now yeah. in this whatever this new thing is. Yeah.
0: Moving on to Green Lanterns, this is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Dexter Soy and colors by Alex Sinclair. John and Simon are en route to Oa Uh with Kelly Quintella, who they need to investigate and get trained and all of that, uh, who is just cramming Green Lantern history on the ship.
1: I love that. Well, basically all of DC's history, but specifically Lantern. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just now up to the crisis. That sounds really cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This also gives us kind of our first hint at. Some of the space politics drama that we've mm-hmm. we've pointed out repeatedly through Future State uh, with the idea that now that there's a United Planets, what is the role of Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: G- Guardians of the Universe.
0: <laughs> what is the role of the Green Lantern Corps? There you go. It's was just for you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, you got into my brain for a moment there.
1: Oh. No, but uh, yeah, I, I I I love this. Stuff. I'm so excited about seeing what they're going to do now that they have just like this infinite frontier. Yeah, <laughs> these yeah. these like everything's open. I love it.
0: Uh, then we get Flash written <laughs> by Joshua Williamson, No Stranger to Flash, with art by Howard Porter and colors by Hi-Fi also, No Strangers to Flash. Right. Uh this goes back to kind of the epilogue in Death Metal and the, the, the idea of exploring this new universe that has no longer is Earth Zero the the sort of crux of everything. It's no longer the point everything rests on. There are two sort of cosmic centers of the universe, the Elseworld, and do you remember what they called the other one in this? Was it the Omega
1: World? Omega Planet. Omega, Omega Planet. Omega World. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Earth omega maybe. Yeah. Something it had an omega in it.
1: It did. It absolutely did.
0: Yep. And with this it seems that Barry is going to be heading out to explore and leave Wally sort of as the flash on Earth. Yep. Um which is actually kind of the opposite of what I expected, but I am here for it. Like I I actually think I might like I might like the idea of Wally getting to be the flash while Barry finds a new purpose. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. is a little more fit, a little better fit now that everything's canon again.
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. The only thing I'll say about this is if they're going to put Barry in this role, I'm perfectly fine with that. But especially given that everybody is remembering everything now, don't just freaking forget about and leave Iris sitting on Earth either. Yeah. He has to be able to go back there often so that he, you know, is still part of her life, or bring her to do some job on you know, with the uh, uh, Justice Incarnate. Like, yeah. uh, on their, like... Yeah, just don't leave her. Yeah, I <laughs> anyway. I agree with that.
0: Um, yeah. Especially given that it kind of teased back during Endless Winter that maybe he was about to propose.
1: Exactly, right, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay.
0: Um, And then we have an epilogue scene from Josh Williamson, John Romita Jr. and Klaus Johnson, and Brad Anderson. Mm-hmm. And uh, we... All I want to say about this is if you are curious who will kind of be the the big bad of the DC universe throughout Infinite Frontier, this will answer your question.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then I do want to very specifically point out, as they're kind of coming out of this reminiscence and going back to this backup story, there's a double-page spread of them walking through, like, all of these panel shots, kind of. Uh-huh. And that page is just gorgeous. I just love it. I just love it.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Batman number 106. We've got two stories in here. The main feature is Batman in the Cowardly Lot Part 1. It is written by James Tynan IV with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomeo More, and letters by Clayton Cowles. So let's talk a little bit about the status quo in Gotham. We saw this in Infinite Frontier. Mhm. Um there has been a Joker gas attack on Arkham Asylum. Inmates, guards are dead. Uh one one big character is dead, which is surprising to me given kind of what my expectations were for the Joker series. I'm even more curious now to see that issue because I thought this character was going to be a big part of the Joker
1: series. <laughs> Big part, I get it. Yeah,
0: this creates kind of a uh, a situation where the newly elected mayor of Gotham, Mayor Nakano, actually is going to consider a proposal that has been brought to him by was it Simon Saint? Was Simon Simon History Saint? Day? Yep, yep. Uh, to and I don't know this. I I don't know where this could possibly go. To. Ah. To put in a new sort of military force in Gotham to handle mask crime and to make all mask activity illegal. It would be called The Magistrate. Does that ring any bells, Brian? For,
1: uh, I don't know. I I read something about it, but oh. I don't remember what it was.
0: <laughs> Obviously, yeah. this is giving us the, the setup to what we saw in Future State.
1: Well, and what I I'll tell you what I think is got I mean, very clever. Like those pieces are kind of obvious and expected. Yeah. So that but the part of this, so this is called, you know, the cowardly lot, uh, and it's a s it's essentially at its heart, it's a scarecrow story.
0: Yes. Which first and foremost, let's talk about Jorge Jimenez's redesign of Scarecrow.
1: The new aesthetic. Oh this yeah. is
0: this is everything I want in a Scarecrow design. I think the hard part of doing Scarecrow is he needs just on site to be kind of terrifying.
1: It's like Scarecrow Wicker Man, kind of. It's...
0: To me as a kid, he was terrifying on Batman the Animated Series. But then you see the way they make him monstrous in Batman Begins in the Arkham Asylum video games. Arkham Asylum in particular, like, those are all places where I think he's really terrifying on the page. And this does that
1: to me. Yeah,
0: He is clearly in on what has gone down
1: at uh, at Arkham. Arkham. Yeah. Uh, well, I think he orchestrated. I think he, I think well, very, sp- yeah.
0: I think not only did he orchestrate it, but as we see in uh, Infinite Frontier, he's, he's working with Saint. He's working to make, he's part of a bigger conspiracy.
1: Yeah, well, and I think specifically because they're all like, wow, the Joker's attacking right now again after just having done this. And uh, and the answer is, of course, no, but another Joker attack right now would terrify people. So, yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: I also love, we only get a quick moment with Harley <laughs> here. Yeah. But I love the Harley moment that boils down to uh, you rich boys and your privilege. How am I supposed to cry, fight crime without money?
1: Yes, I also your, love your cars and motorcycles and magic fucking grappling guns. Yes, I also
0: love the little bit of relationship we see between Batman and Ghostmaker
1: in this. Yeah,
0: where they almost feel like like Felix and Oscar odd couple roommates, and I
1: was going to say or brothers. Yeah, right? yeah,
0: like it's it's this relationship that it feels more even footed than even anything Bruce and Dick have ever had.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, and I I, I specifically said brothers, because if you think about what their story is supposed to be, that's kind of the...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is one of the weird books that kind of gets to keep going with its story from before Future State, Mm -hmm. but it still does a really smart job of bringing in those ideas and feeling new and fresh while using everything it's done for its last 20 issues as a
1: springboard. And then you want to talk about, again, the the very last page of this, the scarecrow being terrifying. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Oh, that's, that's nightmare fuel right there, baby. Yeah. I love it. Uh,
0: the backup in this is called Robin, Demon, or Detective. This is part mm-hmm. one of two. Uh, this is written by Joshua Williamson with art and colors by Gleb Melnikov and letters by Troy Pateri. Damien has basically said, I'm, I'm done with Batman. This is not going to work for me. And goes home to Talia, who essentially says, okay, so you failed and you're, you're crawling home to mommy. How did I fail? I rejected it. No, you didn't get what you want. And you came back here without a penny to your name or any power or any allies. Uh, and then they fight assassins together. Yeah. I um, like this idea of Damien out on his own.
1: I like the idea of Damien leaving the Bat family. Yeah. Because uh, uh, again and again, his ideas that he tried to bring to it just kind of weren't accepted. Yeah. And that, you know.
0: And to be clear, I love Damien as a character. I, I want more Damien. I'm glad we're going to have a Damien series coming out of this. I know a lot of writers, Scott Snyder, for instance, has talked at length about this struggle to know how to write Damien. Yeah. And I think having a Robin that young with that relationship to Bruce, yeah. you need to let him go off and become, you know, become more of a character in his own right. I think to push much further.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's two things. One is obviously, you know, he, he lost the teen titans right yeah right and the other is when jonathan went to went to space and came back 10 years older lost the kind of what i would see as the what was at that point his anchor yeah i mean that's what was keeping him for lack of a better word keeping some of his impulses under control yeah right and i think losing that relationship is probably a big piece of this.
0: I think you're probably right about that. The next book up is Crime Syndicate number 1. Uh the main feature here is called The New Deal Part 1: Strange Visitor. This is written by Andy Schmidt with pencils by Kieran McCown, inks by Dexter Vines, colors by Steve Oliff and letters by Rob Lee. So, one of the things, I don't know, I don't know if it was in an issue somewhere in an interview somewhere, Josh Williamson or someone on Twitter, but one of the things that is a product of death metal is that while it is true that Earth Zero now has everything in continuity, there are other Earths where history has basically just been reset tabula rasa. And I think that Earth Three must be one of those Earths. Um, I think that's necessary because how often whenever Crime Syndicate or Earth Three came up did we go, I thought they were dead. In the course of the last couple of years, Brian.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, this issue feels like it's giving us sort of an introduction to what this new status quo is. Uh Ultraman is Ultraman gonna Ultraman. He is terrorizing Metropolis. And I love that there are people in this who are just like, no, Clark, fuck off. You're not going to you're not going to kill me or my staff. Um, I love that of all people it's it's Cat Grant. It's Cat Grant.
1: And I I love. There's a there's a panel where he has this Daily Planet delivery truck over his head that is like a a posed reproduction of you know Superman with the car over his head from Action uh-huh. Number One, and then simultaneously he's throwing it through the window of the Daily Planet at Cat Grant. Uh huh. And all I can think of is <laughs> <it's> Doctor Horrible. <laughs> He threw a car at my head. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, so good. I love that she calls his call just calls him out on it, though. Yeah,
0: and I love how much it, and you can like you can tell in the art. She knows, she knows, and is intentionally calling him a Clark to piss him off.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: It, it gets under his skin exactly the way she wants it to. Yeah, our superwoman is Donna Troy, who is. Extorting the president of the entertaining well, (laughs) one then the other. She does not mix business with pleasure, it is business then pleasure. (laughs) There you go. Uh, President Oliver Queen,
1: President Oliver Queen, yes. And
0: Um. that is when the Secret Service walks in and ruins everyone's day, (laughs) right up until the huge earthquake.
1: Yeah, I I try to decide how much I love that scene or hate it.
0: <laughs> right, like it's it's definitely
1: both. It's definitely it, is. it absolutely is.
0: Like it's definitely there to push some buttons. <laughs> and but it's so I, well and done?
1: I, and then I have to know what what does Oliver say for it? <laughs> quiver quiver Martha? No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, Yikes. <laughs> That's just everyone's
0: safe <laughs> word in the DCU. Um, we we meet our Flash and our Adam. Yep. Uh,
1: uh, well, before that, we meet our Power Ring.
0: I was going to say, I think Power Ring may be my favorite redesign here. Because it's not Hal Jordan. It's Jon Stewart. Yeah. And, like, it maintains the kind of antagonistic power ring the ring and power ring the person relationship Yep. but this is less driven by like preying on fear explicitly and more just pushing john to
1: be brutal yes like very lawful evil it, it, to to be the worst kind of paladin yes yeah exactly
0: and then we see sort of the threat uh for at least the beginning of this series, a Starro invasion. Yeah. Uh which I'm always here for. But there is one place the Starrows do not attack, and that is Gotham, under the protection of Owlman and the Talons, which is, I think, a new
1: detail that I love. Yes, that Owlman is essentially a ta- the talon, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's it's a solid introduction. It definitely has that that introductory issue vibe. But I think what it sets up is, by and large, very smart, and I look forward to the rest of this series. Me too. We also have the backup history of Ultraman, uh, which is called The Paranoid Titan, written by Andy Schmidt, with art by Brian Hitch, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by Rob Lee. And it's basically uh, about how, as a kid, Jonathan, Marth- Jonathan and Martha Kent preyed on baby Ultraman. And eventually him. Yeah. Yeah, eventually they he realized, oh, they're lying to me and using me, and I'm gonna make sure that never happens again. Yeah. Suicide Squad number one. Assault on Arkham Part One. This is written by Robbie Thompson with pencils by Eduardo Ponseca, inks by Julio Ferreira, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Wes Abbott. Uh, Waller has sent a team into Arkham to retrieve a new recruit who. Let's just say we'll not go quietly into that good night. Oh
1: no, no, no.
0: This is the Talon. Who, who whoever
1: could it be, Alex? Yeah, it's it's the Talon. Who? Who could it be? Who 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 who? I really want to know. Uh okay, can I say one uh, I there was there was one particular kind of thing about this that I absolutely adored. And that is uh Waller is talking to Rick Flag. Uh-huh, he was questioning what she's doing and basically saying I am tired of putting together these teams that just about the time they're starting to pull it together, they die off Yeah, and I lose people from them and like, they never have the chance to really become something. And therefore, and he's like, well, it's not about winning. It's about ending what needs to be, you know, ending something that can't, we can't allow to continue. And she's like, yeah, but I I, I can't deal. And yet the, the team that she sends in, only one of them make it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess two if you count William Cobb. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. Who I'm assuming makes it out just because we do see him in Future State, and this, yeah. this feels like a clear through line again.
1: Yeah, but, uh, but uh, this is uh, very, like, it's like, so this is like kind of in a way like a, the last Suicide Squad.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Well, it's even called Task Force Z. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really dug this. I think we've both said before,
1: neither of us is a huge Suicide Squad person. Uh, I have enjoyed it over, over the years. Yeah. But like, it's not been like my, my thing. Yeah.
0: But this is a run I could, I could definitely see myself sticking with based on at least this issue.
1: I do got some questions about how she got, uh, a certain someone though, that she is, uh, got chained up.
0: Uh, I'm going to say very carefully clearly um i'm sure we will get that explanation probably sooner rather than later
1: yeah i liked it though i did like this
0: yeah and the art in here like this Ah. is this is a solid art team too indeed now we move on to the swamp thing number one of ten becoming part one this is written by rom v art is by mike perkins Colors are by Mike Spicer, and letters are by Aditya Bidikar. I feel like Rom V set a very high bar for his Swamp Thing run with Future State, mm-hmm. and this is even better than I imagined.
1: This, I will be honest, this does not look or read like a DC book. This looks or read like, like an independent comic.
0: I think that's very true. It also reminded me, and I think for some general reasons, and I think for one very specific reason, it reminded me of the TV show Fringe, which I love.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I can see that.
0: Um I actually messaged with Tim a little bit about it too, and uh he he picked up on that same vibe. Uh I think that's a couple of things. One, you get any kind of like weird science horror, and that's gonna tickle my brain a little bit on that, sure. that fringe train. But also anytime there's like the depiction of some sort of weird biological monster going out of control on an airplane, that feels like peak fringe to me. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: This is about a man named Levi Kame, who is on his way back to the U.S. from India. Uh, We we learn over the course of the issue that he had gone there to, one, for work, to sort of represent his company trying to acquire a piece of land, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also to repair his relationship with his father. Um, it does not seem that either of those things has gone well. well. Uh, Certainly not from the nightmares he has about turning into a big green viney monster. Correct. The sort of thing you might see in a swamp. Um, this is framed by some local authorities investigating murders out in the desert. Uh, and the, the deputy Tells the, insists to the sheriff that it's this, this legendary creature that lives out in the desert and has been out there for 150 years, and the sheriff does not believe this.
1: The Pale Wanderer. Not the Pale
0: told. Wanderer. Uh, which, lo and behold, it, it may just be. I think. I think the thing that really pushes this into that, kind of what you said, creator-owned, independent vibe, is one, how character focused it is. Yeah. Two, how much the the sort of superpower piece of it is almost reframed as a horror trope, right? It's oh, reframed it's as this much. monster in the shadows.
1: Yeah. yeah, this very much reads like maybe like a Redlands story or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: But the other thing I think is just the narrative structure of it. We have a lot of story moments that are not told linearly. Mm-hmm. We have certain moments that are visited as dreams or nightmares. Mm-hmm. And we have a question of how much of those things are really happening. Yeah, we how have an unreliable
1: things... narrator. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How much of those things maybe are happening, but are happening on another plane of reality. <laughs> um, And certainly Levi does not have control of this power. None. None. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like, there are almost shades of an Immortal Hulk kind of vibe there. Yeah. That oh, yeah. sort of, and I mean, classic pulp monster story idea yep. at that point, right? Yep. Like, the monster you can't control that dwells within you. Exactly. Um, I, ugh, this was
1: incredible. Yeah, this is, this is real, real good. None of of that was a detriment to this. It was all a positive statement. Oh yeah, no,
0: everything about this is amazing.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: Milestone Returns number zero. This is out in print, I think in late April or early May. Uh, The digital release was actually in the last week of February. There are basically two stories here. It reprints the DC fandom preview of Milestone. Okay. That was written by Reginald Hudland and Greg Pak, with art by Jim Lee, Ryan Benjamin, Dennis Cowan, Jimmy Palmiotti, Don Ho, Bill Sinkevich, Koi Fam, Scott Collins, uh Colors by Alex Sinclair, Hi Fi and Chris Sotomayor, and Letters by Anworld Design. That story was and it actually prints that as the backup in this. Uh but that story is basically set before what we see in the new content here. Um sort of providing an introduction to who those characters are uh and this i say those characters this is focusing really on rocket and icon hardware and static the new content uh which is basically a full-length issue this whole issue is like 50 pages okay uh the new content is called the big bang uh it's written by reginald hudland with art by dennis cowan nicholas draper ivy bill sienkiewicz Chris Cross and Juan Castro, with colors by Nicholas Draper Ivy, Chris Sotomayor, and Will Quintana, and letters by andworld design uh this this basically spends a third of its time with each of those characters. Uh, we start with static. This actually gives us a new origin for static, which narratively, I think mirrors his original really well. This recontextualizes it as Virgil is at a Black Lives Matter rally and police fire an untested gas at the crowd the 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 version of virgil we see here i think he's pretty consistent with what we've seen before but he definitely feels you know a little more modern a little more updated uh nicholas draper ivy the artist for the the upcoming book has talked about how this virgil has a little less patience for bullshit how he's a little more likely to jump in and fight back um and that's something this issue focuses on too is he is angry about what has happened and he has to find a way to channel that the hardware story ties into that in that hardware has developed this gas or worked on the team that developed this gas and warned the company that gave it to the police that it was not ready for use and because he was hired into this company at a young age and he is a black man he expects to be set up for the blame for what has happened and is exactly right to expect that that's what happens to him he he is now i don't know that he's going to be on the run or or exactly where he'll go from here but this is definitely taking him out of working for a big corporation out of having that position and putting him in more of a a place to have to Survive. uh and the third story is is hardware and icon uh icon has recruited hardware to sort of shut down drug dealers which starts in her neighborhood and then escalates to the two of them taking trips to the actual farms where drugs are grown and uh shutting them down And then picking up tacos, because it's important when you travel to experience local culture. Uh, There's a sense of humor in this story that I actually really was not expecting, and Doug... I was already excited for all the Milestone stuff to come back, but this has only cemented that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to those books starting soon.
1: Very cool. Brian! Yes, sir? Tell me about Noctera number one. (sighs) Alright, so, um... This is a new book uh, by Scott Snyder. Uh, art is Tony Daniel. Colors is... Uh, Tomeo to, Mori. Tomeo Mori. And the letter is And, and World Design. Yep. Um, this, is, uh, this is the book that we talked about where they call, they call it The Great PM, uh, where essentially all the light in the entire world goes out. Uh, And everything is darkness. Um, They find out that the sun is still there, but for whatever reason, it is not coming through. So, like, they don't see stars or anything like that. It's just something is covering the world. We have no idea what that is. Um, We meet our main character. um, And I really, really like this detail. Um, Her name is Val and she is adopted and she was born with cataracts so she couldn't see from when she was born
0: yeah she lived the first 5 years of her life
1: right without being able to see yeah. she well, could mostly be able to see yeah. right she
0: could see a little bit right when she focused on something but as right. soon as she let her eye rest then the fingers crept in and correct covered the world
1: um the orphanage where she was at didn't have the money to pay for it well she was brought to the United States and adopted by this family and given surgery to remove the cataract yeah and she talks about how you know she basically woke up and could see everything that day and how it always appeared very fragile to her um and you know there's this big thing which is you know we all know this is very true from real world uh disasters which is You know, the question is, oh, where were you or what were you doing when X happened? Right. Yeah. So the question is, you know, what what were you doing when? P? And her her answer is, you know, everybody else is in this, you know, what they were doing. And uh, she said, but I was at the point where I woke up and could see for the first time. Like when it went dark, it uh, it put my head, it put me there because when that happened and I thought of how fragile this world, you know, being able to see was. I always felt like at some point that I was always terrified. At some point, the darkness would come back. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, damn, that's brutal." (laughs) Um, yeah, and this
0: is this is Scott Snyder doing, yeah, uh, what he normally does, which is not again not meant to to criticize. This is the way he finds a beat on a story is he kind of asks the question, "What am I afraid of?" Yeah. I think we've talked before ha- about how I feel like at a certain level at a certain level everything Scott Snyder writes is a kind of horror.
1: Yeah. Because to that's self yeah. self-horror, yeah.
0: That's his angle in. <laughs> it is. Uh this one's a little different. This came out of one of his sons starting to feel just like really existential terror at the dark. And that reminding him how when how when he was a kid he was terrified of it too, which is something he had not thought about in decades. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of where that where that idea comes from that that sort of he was afraid of it now his son is afraid of it again, almost cyclical thing yep, or inevitability
1: uh, but val has Val has grown up now, and she basically draws she's a ferryman, which means that she drives an 18 wheeler uh through the darkness from outpost to outpost, and outposts are anywhere where basically they can keep light. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I want to say Val's last name is Riggs, which is a detail I love because her name is Val Val Riggs, and she drives a
1: big rig. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And her adopted brother is Emery. Yes, or M for short. M. Yeah. And uh, so she, we we start off with her. She has this eighteen wheeler full of passengers that she is uh bringing into this uh this outpost, and of course you know we kind of get a little uh uh introductory action piece where some things kind of go wrong right before they get into the city and she gets through it. can I stop and say that, like mm-hmm. the the character the faces in this are absolutely amazing yeah I, the artwork in this is,
0: and uh, I have I've said this before I think I actually have the uh, uncolored version of this do you and this is by no means a slight to Tony Daniels, whose art is solid but Tomeo Mori is bringing a <laughs> lot of that yeah. detail and definition. I can, and, believe, that. I can totally uh, believe that. Life to this as oh. well.
1: But yeah, so uh, we, and then we kind of get, you know, we get, we get a little bit through her conversations with some people uh, about what the rules of this world are, right? Where if anybody stays out in the dark for more than a certain amount of time, they start changing. Mm-hmm and if they're out for too long obviously they will turn into these uh the, these horrible creatures. Um and then we get uh you know we find out how that how those rules affect her. Yeah. Cuz you know, Chekhov's gun, right? You don't put the rules out there if they're not important. Um uh and then at the end essentially what happens is we get her taking this job to carry this kind of old man and his granddaughter. To what is a rumored refuge? So yeah. you know, somewhere, just like, yeah.
0: somewhere there is actual sunlight.
1: Yeah, allegedly um, there is. You know, anytime that you have these post-apocalyptic type things, right? There's always the oh well, you know. There's rumors that rich people have created these, these you know private sanctuaries against this. And yeah, and like nobody, you know, they're only half believed or you know, there's city of gold type stories, right? Well, so she ends up in in kind of a desperate situation where she agrees to take this old man and his granddaughter to one of these sanctuaries that he says exists. Um, And it it very much, uh, there were, like, at the end of this, with this carrying these two, there was very much a a high-level vibe. That was Mm -hmm. a comic that came out, you know, I guess about a year or so ago now. Uh, It had a little bit of that to it, uh, you know, this... I've got to transport these two people and keep them safe through this dangerous territory.
0: This is this is kind of a theme we've seen yeah in comics a few times over the last few years. I can mm-hmm. think of a handful of books that have played with versions of this idea. Yeah. I I don't think that is at all to the detriment of this book. This this feels fresh and there are a couple of details we haven't talked about um the the reason Val takes the job is because right. In any zombie book or vampire book, you have the person who's starting to turn. Well, uh, M went out into the dark for some reason and, uh, artificial light is not cutting it for him now.
1: Yeah. Like one of the rules is if you catch it early enough, dialysis might be able to get rid of it, right? Yeah. So it's obviously something kind of in the blood or whatever, but, and that seemed to stave it off for him for a while, but now that's not cutting it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, we also get the reveal at the end of this that there is another party interested in stopping Val from delivering her passengers. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to say why, but that hook is like a great last page. Oh reveal. yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Right. I love I love this story premise. I love the characters very much. Mm-hmm. I really like the characters. And, uh, it, it looks very, very promising.
0: I agree. America Chavez, Made in the USA, number one. This is written by Kalinda Vasquez, with art by Carlos Gomez, colors by Jesus Albertov, and letters by Travis Lanham. Uh, Kalinda Vasquez was actually in the news a couple of days ago. Uh, if you are not familiar with her by name, she is a writer and producer on Star Trek Discovery who it was announced on this past Friday as we're recording would be writing one of the next star Trek movies.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah.
0: Um, speculation just based on, I don't know if this was in the statement or just because of details in it is that it would not be in the Kelvin timeline, but would be in the timeline of discovery. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm also not a star Trek person, so not, I have absolutely no qualms with it, just is not a fandom I've ever explored. Uh so if I get that wrong, I'm sorry. I don't actually know what I'm talking about. I'm just parodying it. Anyway. <laughs> parroting it. Not parodying it. Understood. Um anyway. Uh this is about America Chavez uh fighting mole fighting giant moles with Kate Bishop.
1: Yeah, they got a mole problem. They do. Yeah
0: uh this is obviously about more than that there is someone uh narrating this who is clearly writing to or or villain monologuing on their own at america who is seeking revenge for something uh in the course of this whoever this person is sort of draws america's family adopted family back in new york into danger to draw her out and at the same time, America's powers are being unpredictable. Yep, uh, which is not something that she wants to address. We see both Kate and Ramon try to talk to her about it, and she is not having it. Uh and then she rushes off to New York to save her family. I really dug this.
1: Yeah, and it's her, uh, her family on this earth—the the, yes. the, the family that adopted her when she fell through yes and and came here yeah
0: i have no clue where this will go
1: yeah i'm this is an interesting one because i'm not sure where this is going either
0: um i i don't know i truly don't know if america i guess america chavez has had one other either ongoing or mini series um she's usually in team books though so beyond the she is from a utopian paradise uh beat i actually don't know a whole lot about personal history backstory outside of those team books uh also we've got an mcu america tv show coming up so like i am i am definitely here for this miniseries and curious about what sort of new character detail context all of that they'll be building out for
1: her ahead of that yeah demon days x-men uh, gets my vote for probably most beautiful book this week. Just, uh, and I I don't I like not not best artwork, just prettiest.
0: It is very pretty. The script and art are by Peach Momoko. The English language adaptation is by Zach Davison, and letters are by Ariana Mar. Uh, and this is. Build as a number one, this is actually the first of, I think we said five, one-shots that, yeah. that tell an overarching story. Uh, this one focuses on Psy, who is a Psylocke analog, mm-hmm. uh, a sort of wandering fighter.
1: In... A, a, yeah, like, think Kung Fu from, you know, the old David Codine Kung Fu story, the wanderer who just goes and has different adventures on each episode or
0: yeah. yeah um she passes through this town with her dog and what is her dog's name logan yes uh and this town ta- this town has two problems one Oni keep eating the food <laughs> two orochi or as they call it venom has taken up residence and will not leave until they give it enough sacrifices the 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 town's sort of erstwhile offender is a young girl named was it suki
1: uh it is yeah Suki, yes,
0: who chases off the oni as it is raiding the garden uh and then wants to go fight orochi mm-hmm. uh which she cannot do on her own. They need the help of juju juju uh who makes fireworks. Where's <laughs> a where's a yellow coat and is fantastic and is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um who who basically tells them, "Oh, yeah, that's cool. I can help. I can help with your snake problem, but also you need the oni on your side." Yeah. Uh so it's it's very much a story about and this is this is drawing from both traditional and then I don't know if you read The Back Matter. There's I did. there's some information in the back that Zach Davison wrote about different myths and more contemporary, like think early twentieth, early early to mid-20th century stories. Yeah. Uh, that whole range of time that this book is drawing on. But mm-hmm. it's very much about sort of traditional ideas of Oni and Yokai. And finding that balance between these nature spirits, these these spirits of the world, and inhabiting the world as people, and not chasing the Oni out of their land, not overreaching, not doing all right. those things.
1: Yeah, and so they need to recruit the 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 uh, assistance of the Red Oni, who Oni is smash. really big, who likes to smash things. If that gives you any hints there, uh, yes, very very much. Uh, this. This is just it, it. It's just beautiful. The story is beautiful. The art is. Uh, I think this is the first interior full book that Peach Mom- Momoko has done. It's certainly the first one I have seen. Me, uh, me as well. And it is. It is again just beautiful. Yeah. So pretty.
0: Um, I appreciate that they have the the context in the back too because I do. Too. I. I do not have any expertise in traditional Japanese history or stories or myths or art styles, Um, or honestly much contemporary. I've got a little contemporary Japanese history, but that's it.
1: Yeah. Like I know. Like what a toddler would know from reading, you know, from having a couple of stories read to them. Like that's the, that was, I I knew what Oni were, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But, and Kami, but, like, I don't know nearly enough. I can give you the history
0: of the uh, fall of the Tokugawa Shogunate and the (laughs) Meiji Restoration, uh, as well as the concepts of extraterritoriality, but that's kind of the the focal point of what I know about Japanese history. I love this book. We, We kind of get at the end of this, too, the tease of who we see in the next issue. Yes, which is called Demon Days Mariko. Uh huh. Uh and this ends with a young girl named Mariko reading this story, and her it seems like school teacher maybe, uh, tutor or yeah, some sort of authority figure comes uh-huh. in dressed in black, and one of the last panels we get is just a little red hourglass like brooch or or hair clip on the back of her head.
1: Yes, yeah, she has uh, she has red hair.
0: Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, no clue where this goes next, but I am here for all of this. This was, like you said, just absolutely beautiful.
1: Well, one of the things that I thought was cool was, yeah, this tying of yeah. We see her reading this story, right, and then we see there is uh, like uh, right, right before the end of the story, there's the um, there's this stone where they're leaving food offerings for the Oni, since mm-hmm. the Oni helped them, right? The villagers are leaving it. And then we see, you know, uh, Mariko reading this book and then it cuts out like out from the city where where we presume Mariko is, you know, going to bed now. Yeah. And we see this stone and there is like a crushed soda can next to it. Like it's kind of the yet maybe this was real. And, you know, now they're not leaving offerings, they're trashing and encroaching yeah. on the mountain again kind well,
0: of thing and also
1: uh logan's still there and logan yeah is still there I, I i really really dug this
0: yeah hellions number 10 our our one krakoa book this week this is funny games part two written by zeb wells with art by steven segovia colors by david curiel letters by ariana mar and design by tom Muller.
1: um can i say that- This is, hands down, this is my favorite depiction of uh, Arcade ever.
0: Yes, I love, like, Arcade definitely has a sadistic streak. But I think what makes him so great here is he's also trying to deal with not being manipulated by Mastermind. Yes. And his way to handle this is he has someone thousands of miles away on a video feed confirming that he's actually doing all the things he actually think he's doing yeah that everything
1: that he thinks is happening is actually what's happening yeah Yeah.
0: which one becomes the sort of comedy relief bit that this issue needs because this issue is fucking dark
1: oh it is so dark
0: uh the teeth thing was almost too much for me brian oh um but two like It kind of gives us a hint to at least one piece of this that maybe isn't real and he knows isn't real. Yeah. Uh, And it puts him in this, like, really almost, not just sadistic place, but this almost ritualistic place. Like, everything he does, he pauses and waits for confirmation.
1: This truly shows his sadistic nature. Yeah. Which I don't think anyone has shown to this degree before. And it makes his character much more <sighs> imposing. Yeah, and believable as a as a villain, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. We also learn what he wants, which is for Sinister to make him his own clones, so he can have more realistic murder bots. Because mm-hmm. he is on a low budget. This is also like hilariously low budget murder world. Yes. The reason he's working with Mastermind. Is because he's got these really cheap, lame robots, and he needs Mastermind to project that they're of higher quality than they are into everyone's mind. <laughs>
1: Can I tell you though? The, the, so right, because they're all—they all see these scenes that Mastermind is projecting onto their minds. Right, at the scene with Havoc finding Madeline Pryor, and you know starting to smooch and snog with her (laughs) Uh and then then they cut out and you see havoc just kissing this essentially what looks like a crash test dummy
0: (laughs) yeah uh also once again psylocke just heartbreaking in this book
1: oh my god no joke man i
0: I think psylocke and psylocke and ronnie need to start some kind of support group with each other yeah because clearly this is a problem on krakoa
1: yeah and like, maybe they should take a a, a a make a make a special gate somewhere so they can go visit Nat Natasha too. Because yeah, Oof. Oof. yeah. Anything else on Hellions? Uh, no, other than just it is also terrifying. It is oh my word.
0: Then a quick King and Black roundup. First up, we have a Captain America one shot, a story called Blackened Blue. This is written by Danny Lore, with art by Mirko Kolak, Stefano Landino, and Roger Antonio, and Nico Leon. Uh, Colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is set after the heroes who had been nullified have been freed from Null's control. Uh, Steve Rogers goes to meet up with Winter Soldier and Falcon and help them rescue some civilians, get them to safety. And this entire issue is framed as a horror story. Steve is having trouble shaking Null's voice in his head, and these images of him betraying Winter Soldier and Falcon for Null, it, I mean, it becomes a metaphor for trauma. And it's very well executed. Um, but it's also like, it puts Steve in a position where he has to doubt himself and isn't sure if he can show that doubt to his friends. And kind of in that way where, like, the best Superman stories are when Superman is the most human. Right. It kind of does that here for Steve, where he's still pushing through, he's still persevering, he's still being Captain America. But there's that voice in his head, there's that literal voice in his head saying, you're not good enough, you can't do this, you're being here endangers everyone. Mm. Which is not something I think you get to see Steve do explicitly often uh we then have gwenham versus carnage number three this was written by shannon mcguire with art by flaviano colors by Rico rinzi and letters by ariana mar uh this is the last gwenham versus carnage issue Gwen is doing her best to save MJ from the Carnage symbiote that Null has put on her. In 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 a good way. This really really makes me want to see what comes next for Gwen and MJ. We have kind of an end of this story, but not not a true resolution to the tensions that make MJ susceptible to Null's control to to a Carnage symbiote's control one of the things that this issue focuses on is the way the way her suit works is it almost kind of like phoenix right it feels the same emotions and amplifies them and we don't really get to you know what's that how much does mj really feel like gwen is a narcissist like gwen puts herself first like gwen wants all this power for herself and doesn't want any of her friends to succeed how much of that is real it ho- it makes me hope we're going to get more ghost spider coming out of this uh which i already always hope for but uh it certainly introduces some new ideas that i'd like to see explored further king and black thunderbolts number three also the last issue of this thunderbolts miniseries this is written by matthew rosenberg with art and colors by juan ferreira and letters by joe sabino this issue makes clear that the team is a squad on a suicide mission (laughs) As one character puts it, they're a real suicide team. Seeing all of them work together, like, it truly does feel like a Suicide Squad book. And that's by design. That's what the Thunderbolts are at a certain level. Um, The difference is they don't have the bombs in their heads, So that creates the potential here for them to actually kind of have each other's back as dysfunctional as a team as they are. And that's that's kind of what we see happen here in a really satisfying way. This, this could be done right here and we never see another issue of Matthew Rosenberg writing Thunderbolts again. That would be a mistake, Marvel, if you're listening. Give Matthew Rosenberg a Thunderbolts ongoing because I love the position that this puts the team in. Um, I'm going to call spoilers. Jump forward like 15 seconds if you don't want to know. They fake beating Null and sacrificing themselves and then reveal themselves during Wilson Fisk's press conference to be alive. And they tell Fisk they won't tell everyone that he didn't actually beat Null himself and is just taking credit for it, as long as they stay on his payroll. I love Beautiful. this setup, and I love this as the idea of a setup for an ongoing Thunderbolt. And the last King and Black story this week is Wiccan and Hulkling number one, In the Name of the Honeymoon. Uh, it is written by Teeny Howard. Art is by Luciano Vecchio. Colors are by Espen Grundeturn. And letters are by Ariana Marr. In the category of just go ahead and give Writer X a series, go ahead and give Teenie Howard a a Wiccan and Hulkling series, please, Marvel. This is the second time we've seen her write them. Uh, They were characters in the Death's Head series that she wrote a couple of years ago. And she writes them so well. Uh, This entire, entire issue is kind of framed around they got married in the middle of Empire and have not gotten a honeymoon or any alone time and would very much like it, please. Uh, So when the representative of the Shi'ar offers them a honeymoon, they take it. L'Oreal insists on following them to make sure they're safe. So they've Mm -hmm. got a third wheel. And then the uh, team of Cree explorers who was sent out to explore Knoll back in the Empire's End one shot show up because Null has tasked them with killing their king because there is only one king and he is Null, and they ruin the honeymoon. It is a lot of fun. It is one of the least dark King and Black books, which was a nice change of pace. And just, I love these crazy kids so much. (laughs) Uh, Also, L'Oreal is never not the best. One last book. I'm going to be quick here. I just want to shout it out. The last issue of The Magnificent Miss Marvel, number 18. This actually came out last week. My comic shop was shorted, so I read it this week. This is written by Saladin Ahmed. Uh, art is by Kyu Young. Colors are by Ian Herring. And letters are by Joe Caramagna. This is basically Saladin Ahmed getting a chance to tie a bow on his run, uh, which has been fantastic. He took over the book for G. Willow Wilson after she left. She, of course, created the character, so he's the first person after her to get his hands on the ongoing I think did a tremendous job of making all the characters feel the same and the world feel lived in, but also adding his own, uh, his own ideas to the world. And this kind of gives us a chance to check in with Kamala posts, outlawed posts, kind of everything we had seen in her series leading up to that, where her father had been having health troubles we see him kind of learning to walk again we get a great moment with both of her parents before she heads to to a school dance and he, he her father laments that he may never walk let alone dance again and her mother comes in like kind of dances with him there it's just really sweet really like a realistic kind of family moment right yeah we check in with all of her friends at school and and kind of codify that thesis from this which is She is fighting for the people she loves. She is able to fight because of their support and their friendship and all of that. Like, it sounds a little hokey, but Saladin Ahmed writes it, not me. And there's a reason for that. He's good at making these things sound good. And the art is great. This art team has, I think, been consistent across at least most of the run and just continues to knock it out of the park. I am going to miss it. Okay, is it still good? The Dreaming, Waking Hours, number eight. This is part one of The Fairy King. Uh, Ruin and Heatherafter and Jophiel go into the realm of the fairy to make good on Heatherafter's promise to restore the king of the fairies to his throne and are, let's say, immediately in over their head and seduced by the magic of the fairy folk. The next Batman, Second Son, Chapter 2. Uh, Jace returns home and has to deal with basically everyone in his family despising him. Wow. Yeah. Avengers number 43, Into the Phoenix Part 4. Uh, our sort of round robin of Phoenix Combatants makes it down to the let's say semifinals uh to set up who our final match will be as four takes the the news that phoenix gave him last issue very personally with very good reason okay uh runaways number 34 wolverine and pixie realize that maybe they jumped to some conclusions about molly being in trouble and team up with the runaways to find the mutant who actually called for help Uh, resonant number eight if you enjoy books featuring good good dogs this one has a heckin good doggo After the shipwreck at the end of the last issue, uh, Pax is saved from drowning by a puppy, and the two of them find a a tower that seems to be outside of the reach of the waves of anger that spike and take over everyone caught up in them. It's probably too good to be true. Tell me about fear case number two, Brian.
1: We're down to a couple of weeks left for our agents on this case, and uh, they... Um, track down they get within striking distance one of them one of the agents actually sees the case at some point so they are closing in and getting very very close as one of them is um probably losing more and more touch with reality and power pack number four uh if power pack if what they do is choose really bad mentors that turn out to be supervillains who steal their powers and then make up for it by finding the best mentor. Then power pack is the best. They are at what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of went all the way around
0: the forest to get to the tree. I did. uh, I did. (laughs) uh, Well done. Nevertheless. (laughs) And finally, this week's books, we have four more infinite frontier entries. Mm Mm-hmm. The first up is Batman Legends, number one. The first story in it is Red Hood and Batman in Cheer, part one of six. Written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, and Marcus Toe.
1: Colors <sighs> by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Becca Carey. And Chip writing a Batman book story I just can't wait for. And
0: while that in and of itself would be reason enough to read this book, here it are would the be. other
1: three stories.
0: Ugh harley quinn and poison ivy and new roots this is written by stephanie phillips with art by laura braga colors by yvonne placentia and letters by darren bennett and i would say if you're planning on reading the harley quinn ongoing you need to read this book i believe at some point they've said this is going to lead straight into what's going on in it yeah the third story here is the outsiders in the caretaker part one of three this is written by Brandon Thomas, art is by Max Dunbar, colors are by Luis Guerrero, and letters are by Steve Wands. I loved the future state outsider mm-hmm. stuff, and definitely am excited for this. And finally, one we know I'm excited for, Grifter in The Long Con, part one of five. Written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Brian Benjamin, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by Saida Timofonte. Yeah. That brings us to The Joker, number one. I've mentioned that I have some questions now about this. <laughs> uh, the main Joker feature here is written by James Tynan IV with art by Guillaume March, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by Tom Napolitano.
1: And then the backup story that I'm excited for, which is Punchline. Yeah, who's giving yeah. us that one, Brian? That's uh, James Tynan and Sam Johns writing, uh, Mirka uh, Andolfo doing the art, romulo uh fajardo jr is the colorist
0: then we have superman number 29 uh the main story here is the golden age part one we've talked about this one before this is uh john reflecting on having come back to the golden age from the future and his father's mortality and his role in the superman mythos yep it is written by philip kennedy johnson with pencils by phil hester inks by eric gopster colors by hi-fi and letters by dave sharp we're also going to have backups in the superman books with a tales of metropolis branding on them yeah this first one is about jimmy olsen seeking out bibbo babowski it's written by sean lewis and artist by sammy bosry for some of these backups we, we don't have full creative team names available to us yet right uh, and finally, Wonder Woman number seven seventy Afterworlds Part One, written by Michael W. Conrad and Becky Cloonan, art by Travis Moore, colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by
1: Pat Priso. Yeah, and that's uh, that's all of our DC Infinite Frontiers stuff.
0: Yep. Uh, then Brian, tell me about Nottingham.
1: Uh, this is uh, this is by a uh, small press company called Mad Cave, uh, and this is uh, the writer on this is David Hazan. Art is Shane Connery hulk and Luca Romano. Um this is a uh, kind of a different new take on um uh, obviously the the Robin Hood mythos and it is uh it's kind of labeled as medieval noir where the sheriff of Nottingham is hunting a serial killer with a penchant for tax collectors. Uh and it makes him the target of some of England's most nefarious power brokers. So Super, super different, unique take on the whole Robin Hood mythos, which uh, kind of excites me.
0: Yeah, and then we have Proctor Valley Road, number one. This is written by Grant Morrison and Alex Child, with art by Naomi Franquise, colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by Jim Campbell. Uh, this is, I mean, I said Grant Morrison, right? Like You, you, you did say that, her?
1: yeah, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh this is about a group of kids who have organized a ghost tour with their classmates on the most haunted demon-infested stretch of road in America so they can afford to go to a concert of their dreams. <laughs> um things then go badly. Students go missing and they've got to rescue them. Uh and our last one, yeah, the long teased,
1: oh my uh, god no joke, right?
0: 3 times solicited <sighs> I'm still, you know, I'm still not totally going to believe it until it's
1: in my hands. (laughs) I I totally understand that. I totally get it.
0: Uh, But I am so excited for this book. Children of the Atom, number one. Written by Vida Ayala. Art by Bernard Chang. Colors by Marcelo Maiolo. Letters by Travis Lanham. Where did the X-Men get sidekicks and where did those sidekicks come from?
1: yeah should be good so good yeah we, we've been waiting for this one long time now yeah a year <laughs> yes yeah literally yeah yeah um that does it for us
0: this week though we would like to thank chase parker for our intro voiceover panelology is a member of the certain pov network if you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture go to certainpov.com. I am going to shout out Fun and Games this week uh, with with Matt and Jeff, uh, the two hosts. They are both cool folks, and yeah. I have been particularly active in their Discord server, their, their section of our Discord server lately, as they have provided me uh, useful information in getting my PS5 set up and what to check <laughs> out for it, and uh, answering the random questions I throw at them like, do I need to play Spider-Man remastered before miles or can I do miles and go back? The answer was no major Spider-Man spoilers and miles play yeah, that
1: first. I can believe that.
0: Yeah, but you can find all those podcasts at certainpov.com. You can also find a link to that discord on that homepage to scroll all the way to the bottom. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. support us at patreon.com slash panelology get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch capital p capital m or send us your questions comments or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag capital p capital m until next
1: week i'm alex and i am brian go read those cool cool new comics coming out
0: cpov certainpov.com video games are a unique medium they can tell stories immerse us in strange fantastic worlds blur the very boundaries of our reality but at the end of the day video games are fun whatever fun is to you i'm jeff moonen and i am matt aka stormageddon And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there, so we hope you'll share in that
1: conversation with us.
0: Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on CertPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And happy gaming.